0: After the Virus, Episode 22. Brought to you by After the Virus, a Survivalist Journal. Available as an ebook or paperback at Amazon.com or locally in Chico, California at the bookstore. <laughs> the Sacramento River is the setting for Episode 22 and subsequent episodes. As the largest river in California and the second largest river by discharge on the Pacific coast, in the post Gold Rush years, paddle wheel riverboats plied the river as far north as Red Bluff. While the drought susceptible California climate made commercial travel up the Sacramento unfeasible in the long term, it's still a haven for fishermen and in certain sections for deer, turkey, and waterfowl hunters. Hope was anxious about Ethan. At the end of episode 21.
1: It was mid-morning before they stumbled into camp. Will was first in line, followed by Chris, then Laurel, Heather, and Amy. The looks on their faces as they got closer suggested sadness. Where are the others? I called. All I could think about was Ethan. Before they could answer, Travis, then Ethan, came into view carrying something between them. That something was Kimberly. I ran to them to see what I could do to help. But clearly, it was too late. Kimberly's body was supported by two poles and covered by a couple of jackets, which were soaked with blood. Only her silver hair identified her as the keeper of the pigeon loft. No one spoke for a while. They set the litter down beneath some trees. Then the whole group washed their hands and faces with soap and water and made their way inside where they hung their weapons. I made some porridge and coffee while waiting for them, and some poured a cup or a bowl, but only picked at it. Aidan ran from person to person, staring into their eyes. Most must his hair or touched his cheek or gave him a hug. After a while, they started to talk in hushed tones among themselves. Ethan made his way over to me and gave me a long embrace. Then began to spill out the story.
0: When the copter was south of camp, we headed east with the intention of luring it away from you and Aiden. We found a metal shed like a pump house and started shining lights around it to make ourselves obvious. Eventually it caught the attention of the copter. They started shooting before we even had a chance to hide. It was cat and mouse with machine guns for a while, and it was so dicey that we hardly had any time to set up for a shot. At one point, Katie was caught out in the open, so Kimberly dashed the other way as a decoy. The machine gun cut her to pieces. She must have been dead before she hit the ground. But her move gave Chris time to shoulder the big M3, and he pulverized the chopper. We decided to bring Kim's body back here for a civilized burial.
1: After a couple of hours of quiet, some taking naps or trying to, Travis called a meeting.
2: What happened last night will only continue to increase the pressure to find us. We must get started ASAP. The moon will be waxing a crescent tonight. It's not a lot of light, but it'll have to be enough. What is left to do before leaving?
1: Heather spoke up. The food supplies are all prepared. They only need to be arranged in separate packages for each boat. Good, replied Travis.
2: Each boat will carry the amount of food needed for the occupants of that boat. That way, if we become separated, each boat can take care of itself. The same goes for weapons, etc. Are all the weapons and ammo ready?
1: Will looked to Chris, who nodded. Then Will spoke up.
0: Yeah, everything is cleaned, repaired, camouflaged, and in working order. We already have them roughly divided for four boats. We had anticipated three to a boat, four in the boat carrying Aiden. But with Kim gone, we'll be at three people in all the boats. Each boat will have a roughly equal number of the heavier weapons, and each individual will carry their personal weapons with them. Chris interjected. Everyone will have a pack that they keep on pretty much all the time, with all their essentials. We've tried to make them as light as possible... But that is not very light, I'm afraid. There's a little room in each pack for clothing and personal items, but this is no fashion show, so
2: don't plan on
0: changing clothes unless you have to.
1: To which everyone chuckled, breaking the seriousness of the moment.
2: I know everyone likely has a preference for who is in their boat,
1: started Travis.
2: I've tried to keep certain people together, But we also need to make sure that we have someone capable of handling and carrying the heavy weapons in each boat. So here are the boat assignments. Boat one will be Chris, Heather, and Ashley. Boat two will be Will, Laurel, and Jessica. Boat three will be Ethan, Matt, and Hope. I will have Aiden with us in boat four.
1: I was excited to be assigned to the boat with Ethan. But it will feel weird not to be traveling with Will and Laurel. Matt is in his 20s and was a college student when the virus hit. He is small but wiry and extremely intelligent. It was Matt who figured out the code for the group.
2: Are the boats all ready?
1: Travis asked. Yes, replied Ashley. They
0: are gassed up, have extra fuel, amassed in a sail if the opportunity presents itself, oars, and a survival first aid kit. They just need to be shuttled down to the water.
2: We'll do that this evening let's all finish any packing of personal gear, get a nap, eat something, and we'll start shuttling gear to the boats and the boats to the water at
1: dusk. February 28th. Last night was both scary and exciting. I've never done a lot of boating and doing it in the dark is a weird experience. We took off sometime after midnight and a sliver of moon actually gave us quite a bit of light. Dragging all of the boats to the water was strenuous and even though it was cold out We were drenched in sweat by the time we got them in We were instructed to always seek the part of the river that was in the light of the moon Not in the shade of the riverside trees so that we could see any obstacles in the river This generally meant staying in the middle of the river. The river is full of low spots sandbars and gravel islands so we repeatedly had to get out and drag the boat to deeper water. We generally stayed in a prescribed order. Ethan, Matt, and I were in a 16-foot, low-sided metal boat. Almost all of the deck space was covered with supplies. No one in the group used the motor, and our plan is not to use them unless there's some emergency. The three of us each had a paddle, and were continuously adjusting the boat's direction. To either stay in the light, or avoid what are called snags, big, dead trees in the middle of the channel. A couple of times, we were surprised by how close we got to one of these snags, and on a number of occasions, we felt a bump as we passed over a submerged limb, just barely breaking the water. Chris, Heather, and Ashley were in the lead boat. After a few hours, they flashed a light to let us know that they were pulling over, They stopped at a low island in the middle of the river, and we all got out and stretched. Travis asked us all if we were experiencing any issues, and everyone replied that they were doing fine. We drank some hot coffee from thermoses we had prepared, peed, and got back in the boats. Before we shoved off, Travis handed Ethan a walkie-talkie, saying,
2: Since we are last in line, I can report to you if anything is behind us it's the only pair of talkies we have.
1: Bridges were worrisome, both from the bridge structure itself and from the potential for snipers. We would pull over well upstream and just observe for ten minutes or so. Then, one of the boats, we took turns, would float under the bridge and signal the rest of us once well past. In this way, we floated under the bridge near Hamilton City and another at Butte City, where we were cautious because of large barns on the east side of the bridge. Fortunately, we passed all three bridges without incident. We paddled for about another half hour before Chris again signaled a stop. The sky was lightening in the east, and Chris explained that we were approaching a stretch of river that ran right alongside the highway. There was a thickly forested patch just before the road, so we dragged the boats under the trees. Everyone seemed energized by our first successful leg, and we sat around and talked in hushed tones as we ate cold food. The sky was clear and it was cold as dawn became morning. Soon, people started feeling drowsy from the long night's paddle and began getting into sleeping bags to catch up on some sleep. We will rally in the afternoon to discuss tonight's route. March 1st. Riding from the boat, we were attacked in camp at dusk as we were preparing to leave. Armed gunmen covered in mud and vegetation ran into camp shooting and screaming. Caught off guard, we returned fire with our handguns and the attackers retreated into the shadows, hooting like monkeys. Fortunately, no one was hit except one of the boats, luckily above the waterline. We threw the few personal items we had taken out of the boats back in and shoved off. Travis shouted to start the motors, so he did, speeding off downstream towards the road. We cut the motors after a couple of minutes as we approached the highway. We were relieved to see that large chunks of the road had been blown up and it looked impassable. We'll write more later. March 2nd. We are safely in the camp of our fellow survivalists at a wooded bend in the river just a mile upstream of the town of Calusa, after a harrowing start to last night's float. We were only an hour or two into our night when Travis and the last boat with Katie and Aiden radioed us that there was a craft paddling hard towards us from behind. Hey, there's somebody going up from behind us! Shouting the message to the other boats hey, we got Each group readied the fixed machine guns, and all of us checked our weapons. We held off in the hopes of not having to fire. Without warning, bullets began whizzing by before we even heard the shock. One hit our outboard, and we heard Jessica scream in pain ah. from the boat nearest us. Although we could not see the boat itself, we could see the muzzle flashes as they fired, making certain we were clear of the boats behind us. We began spraying the source of the shots. At that moment, We began getting shot at from the eastern shore adjacent to us. Chris yelled, Front two boats! Take the shore! Back two boats! shoot at pursuers! With Ethan on the mounted machine gun and Matt on the grenade gun, we lit up the shore. The shots from shore were spread out, and it was hard to pinpoint where they were. They seemed to be strung out over hundreds of feet and moving engine, let's get out of here! Ethan yelled. I tried to start it, but apparently the motor had been damaged by the gunshot. In the meantime, the first boat roared forward, then Will's boat behind us began to speed by. Motor's dead, we shouted. Laurel threw us a rope and yelled. Hang on from the boat! Ethan hastily tied the line to the bow and shouted. Go! Despite trying to soften the jerk of the boat, we were all thrown to the floor when the slack went out of the line. Shit! I yelled Matt as our boat swung wildly from side to side as Will's boat pulled us ahead. All the time trying to keep our head low as bullets continued to whiz by, pinging the side of the metal boat once or twice. I was sure we were going to capsize, but we managed to make it beyond the shooters without going over. Once well beyond the shooting. Will cut his engine and shouted, Are you guys all right back there? And all this commotion, we weren't sure. So we checked ourselves out for damage. Besides the motor, Matt had gashed his forehead and arm pretty good when we toppled over. But other than lots of blood, it was nothing serious. There were also two holes in the hull, which undoubtedly lodged into some of our gear, but we would have to check into that later. One hole was close to the waterline, and a little water splashed in as we were careening behind the other boats. I looked at Ethan, and he looked at me, and we gave each other a reassuring thumbs up. "'Jessica's been hit!' shouted Laurel. "'We need to find a place to pull over and shake out her wound!' "'Is she going to be okay?' I yelled. "'Yes!' was all that was answered. Will found a small slough on the west side of the river. And we pulled in there. As Ethan and Matt began looking into the outboard, I went to see if I could help with Jessica. Will placed the machine gun on the sandy point overlooking the river and stood watch. Within a couple of minutes, Chris's boat idled in beside us. Jessica had been hit in the upper arm. From what Laurel and I could tell, the bullet missed the bone but damaged a lot of muscle. There was not a lot of blood, as she had been holding it tightly from the moment she was shot. Jessica was stoic and not in shock. She bit her lip and looked away as we cut off some small, dangling pieces of skin, hanging down the back of her arm, which the bullet had exited. Laurel stitched up the small entry hole, and we disinfected the worst of the exit wound heavily, then wrapped it in clean linen. Laurel and I had been so preoccupied with Jessica's wound We failed to realize that Travis, Katie, and Aiden were not with us. Where's boat four? I asked the group, huddled around Will at the machine gun, peering into the darkness.
0: No sign of him yet.
1: Just then, the motor on our boat fired up for a moment and was quickly shut off. We just got this running again. I'm going back for my uncle, said Ethan. Wait, said Will.
0: Let's sneak back upriver through the woods and see what's going on.
1: I'm in, replied Ethan. It was decided that one from each boat, Will, Ethan, and Ashley, would go. Armed with all the firepower they could carry, they disappeared quickly into the woods while the rest of us watched and listened. After thirty minutes that seemed an eternity, the dark night was lit up with gunshots and blasts from upstream. And then silence.
0: That's it. I'm taking the boat up, said Chris. I'll fire a flare from the survival kit if things go bad and you need to bug out.
1: He shouted as he swung the lead boat upstream at full speed. We could hear the whine of his engine, and then we could hear it slow down and stop. No shooting. That seemed like a good thing. After another ten minutes, we could hear the engine again. Two engines, in fact, heading back to us. We were all confused and curious as to what had transpired. Chris's boat eased into the tight entry to the slough. Chris was driving, and Ashley held Aiden with her other arm around Katie. In the back of the boat, Ethan was bent over. We could not see Travis. Will pulled the other boat in behind them. Chris jumped out and said softly,
0: Give them space. They're hurting. Thanks again for the pleasure of your company, and don't forget to order the ebook or paperback at Amazon.com or locally in Chico at The Bookstore.